25th ranked JMU Dukes will try to avoid the Statesboro Blues. They head down to Georgia Southern this weekend for another Sunbelt Conference road game. They're coming off a relatively impressive victory at Arkansas State. Uh, Noah was there in Jonesboro, uh, drove through the cotton fields to get to Jonesboro. Um, Take me through what you saw Saturday against Arkansas State, a game that was fairly close into the second half, and then JMU kind of you know, showed their strength and pulled away. Yeah, it was slow moving early on. You know, scoreless after one, Jamie really got going in the middle of the second quarter. And, and I think, you know, that's something that Chris Signetti talked about yesterday, which they got to cut out the slow starts. It's happening a few games now. And they pull away in the second half, and they did. You know, it was an eight-point game with ten minutes left in the game. JMU scores 14 unanswered to, to close the door on the on the Red Wolves. But, you know, the slow start didn't hurt them this time. It hurt them at app a little bit and then put them in a 28-3 deficit. This time they were, you know, they were, they were trailing for the first time. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, Arkansas State scored first. It's the first time that Jamie hasn't scored first in the game yet, um, which was a field goal, but, you know, still points on the board. So, overall, they, they pulled out with the win and did what they needed to do, but, you know, a slow start. And I think, you know, later down the road this year, if they have those slow starts, it's, it's not going to be as pretty. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about slow starts, it's on the offensive side of the ball because the defense yeah. still has not given up a point in the first quarter this year. Uh, they've come out ready to play early on. Um, Let's just talk about the defense as they continue to be absolutely dominant. Even, you know, in this day and age of college football, there's going to be some good big plays because it's just the nature of, like, people throwing the ball, spread offenses, everything. Um, More sophisticated, complicated offenses every year. Even taking that into account, Jamie's defense is just shutting people down. We're – to the point where, like, if somebody scores 20 points on them, we're like, well, well, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, Arkansas State scored 20 points. They only had 20 rushing yards, though. And, and in the first half, they had 77 yards, and 47 of them came on one play. And they ran 21 other plays that went for 30 yards. I can do math. So the defense played really well in the whole game. You know, they had a takeaway. They had, you know, different things going on. They pressured the quarterback a lot. Six sacks. They got in the backfield. Isaac mm-hmm. Uku was a monster after leaving the game early with an injury. came back and, and really balled out. Jamari Edwards again playing really well on the front on the front. So overall the defense is just doing its job. You know, they're in the top ten in most defensive categories, number one, number two in most in a lot of them. And I think, you know, that's the reason why they're winning. And, and most they they say, you know, championships are won on with a good defense, and I think right now JMU's pretty much showing that. Yeah, and the sacks play a role in this because of the way the college stats are accumulated. But another game where we're talking about twenty rushing yards yep. and just absolutely shutting down the running game of the opposition. I honestly thinking that they <clears throat> had a lot of depth up front, never imagined that we'd be seeing this kind of performance against the run from this team. It's just unbelievable that through five games is where the sample size is getting larger and larger and still just nobody's been able to run the ball on them at all, at all. Yeah. And the crazy part is they were without two guys that play a lot. Mikhail Kamara and Jamie Kroma both didn't make the trip with injuries or banged up. And so they didn't even make the trip and JMU still without two guys that play a lot of snaps, a lot of significant steps, you know, comes in and, and, and just shuts down our Arkansas state team who can run the ball pretty well. And, and, you know, they, they just, you know, didn't make anything happen. Obviously Johnny Lang, the, the Red Wolves starter only had one carry for one yard. So I think he, he's a little banged up too, but you know, Jamie's defensive line showed that they can ball pretty much anyone. Yeah, you mentioned Isaac Guglu, Jamari Edwards. Another guy who continues to play extremely well is uh, James Carpenter. Yeah. And the fact that you've got a nose guard like that 
who, when you're shorthanded, basically can play the entire game without taking a snap off. Um, pretty impressive just along those lines to, to see that they, it's a unit that had depth, and that depth has been challenged at times this year, and your starters are capable of just playing an entire game. It's pretty incredible. It is, and I think it's a testament to, you know, JMU being ready for this move and, and having quality players and quality development, and, and it's, it's paying off right now. Yeah. And obviously you're going to want that depth to come back, and hopefully, you know, they get Mikel Kamara and Jami Kromo back soon, and then you can, you know, rotate rotate them in like they have. And But right now I think they're fine, especially with the bye week coming up too. I think they'll, they'll be able to push through the next two weeks and then get to that bye week on Halloween. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we talked about the offense starting slow, even – with that, they had some guys who put up huge numbers yeah. against Arkansas State. Uh, you know, Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Week, Todd Santeo, again, uh, throwing for four, over 400 yards. I think you, you've mentioned he completed 15 passes in a row at yeah. one point in that game. Um, <clears throat> it, it was kind of, you know, the guys you expect. Hey, Chris Thornton, uh, you know, huge receiving numbers, uh, and Percy was back. You know, that was, you know, the Percy we haven't seen really fully probably in almost a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a – that was a, that was a big a big performance from him. And <clears throat> probably maybe the signature play of the season so far when he just runs over a guy, breaks a couple more tackles, and t- turns a fourth and one into a 31-yard touchdown. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that. There's a photo he posted, and it, he, he literally knocked the helmet sticker off of somebody, like – he circled it on a photo. Like, the helmet sticker's flying with the dude's mouthpiece. And, like, that's how hard he was hitting people and breaking tackles on that run. And I, it was kind of interesting. I didn't realize that until he posted the photo of it. It was kind of cool. But, yeah, overall, you know, the offense played well. You know, Tots and Taylor, 394 passing yards, four touchdowns. Chris Thorne with 173 or four yards. But no touchdowns for him. So, it's kind of interesting. He puts up a lot of major numbers, but no touchdowns after, you know, scoring five in the first two weeks. Um, but, yeah, Tots and Taylor started four of eight and then – Later turned six to twelve, and then after that he completed fifteen passes in a row, and, and really started dicing up their the Red Wolves defense. Which, if he can start off throwing fifteen passes in a row, I think that'll help JMU get off to a quicker start. But you know, Kirsty Nitty yesterday talked about every quarterback misses a read here or there early in the game. It's just settling in and, and getting comfortable with the other defense. So he's not really too worried about it. I don't think a lot of them are because you know he showed what he can do, and and I think you know maybe we start talking Toddy Santeo for the Heisman. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, if, if there wasn't a guy named C.J. Stroud kind of leading every category <laughs> in the country, uh, <clears throat> might be might be something to talk about. But, you know, yeah, right now, as – I mean, I think probably Sunbelt Player of the Year, still Grayson McCall's to lose when you're the two-time uh, defending but, winner, winner of that category and having a pretty good season. But right now, so I'd say Tosin Tay was right up there with him. I mean, Tosin Tay is the only quarterback to – win offensive play of the week twice so far this year so yeah. if, we're, if we're putting a leaderboard like that and then he's already beating Grace McCall in that and I think another thing that plays in the factor in that is they play each other the last game of the year it's gonna be a big time game probably it's gonna probably be on ESPN network I'd assume if, if at the rate we're going it's gonna make a major TV network and and that could be a game of deciding who's gonna win offensive player of the year based on you know how well the other one balls out against each other yeah I mean not to get too far ahead of each other, ourselves but if both teams continue to win, that's a potential top twenty-five matchup at Bridgeport Stadium to close out the season. Which I don't think I don't think anybody imagined <laughs> <laughs> was something that might happen this season um, when we were getting started, you know, in September. Um, before we kind of move on to Georgia Southern, I just want to had in my mind 
uh, to point out, you know, Terrence Green. We talked about him getting off to sort of a slow start yeah. to the season, and he's still not the guy who's going to go out there and make nine catches like Chris Thornton did uh, recently. Or you know, Reggie Brown can kind of give you that kind of you know constant production with huge numbers of receptions. But Terrence Green has got a streak going now of games with a play of 20 yards or more. He, he's given him kind of that dimension of being that guy who can stretch the field for you. And <clears throat> when it seems like it's been Chris Thornton, Chris Thornton, Chris Thornton, and then all of a sudden teams are focused on him, all of a sudden it's it's him that kind of makes a play and moves the chains or gets that big touchdown. Just want to kind of point out that, you know, he's a guy who's coming along after a little bit of a slow start and showed it again on Saturday. Yeah, he had a slow start, a couple drops early in the year, but, you know, on Saturday they're playing zone at one point. He found pretty much a – wide open space just to turn around catch the ball and it moves upfield for another 10 15 yards so yeah it's, it's a good 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 to see from him i think todd Santeo is trying to get him more involved in this offense you know obviously chris thornton's the guy and reggie brown's number two but i think terrence green he's got the explosive factor he's proven commodity from monmouth and i think you know as the year progresses we'll see more from him yeah and as jamu goes down to statesboro this weekend play georgia southern team that uh you know old school JMU fans are fairly familiar with from the old Division One AA days, yep. um, but it's been a long time since they've played. You know, we talked about Percy um, and his incredible performance on Saturday. Uh, the running back room seems to have taken a little bit of a hit as far as depth goes. Where you know they still have you know a lot of guys in there, but unfortunate injury to Solomon Van Horst after he's kind of he was kind of having his breakout. Not necessarily breakout performance, but he was definitely adding that dimension of the pass catcher of the backfield, and he showed it on Saturday before, you know, leaving the game with what looks like a fairly serious injury. Yeah, it's a foot injury, and then Chris Ignetti after the game said it could be potentially long-term, and then yesterday he ruled him out for, for this weekend and maybe the weekend after. So, obviously not the ideal scenario, but then again, they're without him for much of camp. They're without him for the beginning of the year, so I think they'll be okay. And if any room's going to get hit with an injury, running back room is probably the one that could could sustain an injury like this. And I think you can see, you'll see Wayne Knight kind of fill in his role. And, and Wayne Knight has shown he, he had a 14-yard catch a couple of games ago, and I think, you know, he might be that guy that they can kind of plug in there and hope he can turn something into nothing. Yeah, it was sort of interesting. I, I kind of had wondered when Wayne Knight – did he get into the game on Saturday? I No, it was – they once – Solomon was down. They just rolled with Percy and Daniel yeah. Trell. But I, I had kind of been wondering before Solomon got hurt if you know maybe they try to keep him at that four games played mark to preserve the red shirt. Yeah. Um, you know, in this day and age, I think they're doing that less and less with guys. Um, but it, that may be off the table now if uh, Solomon's out for a while. And yeah. you know, I mean, I think we can just go ahead and say it. We saw him on campus and. You know the situation probably didn't look good from I what mean, we saw. I mean, he was he was he was on crutches at Arkansas State. So yeah. it's, it's no it's no no secret that it's, yeah. it's nothing. It's not a and a foot injury you can shake off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's, we can turn the focus then to Georgia Southern, a completely different kind of Georgia Southern team than people who have been following college football for a long time have come to expect. They're throwing yeah. the ball all over the place. They're not running the option anymore. This is not uh, <clears throat> this is not the old school, uh, you know, Georgia Southern teams. It's just that West Coast offense. Yeah, Jimmy's already faced similar passing attacks this year, but you know, if we compare it to um, you know a Middle Tennessee or even an Arkansas State that wanted to throw the ball down the field, 
is this a stiffer challenge for the JMU secondary and defense as a whole facing, you know, Kyle Van Treese and the Georgia Southern West Coast passing game? It is. I mean, Kyle Van Treese is averaging 322 yards a game through the air, which is insane. JMU is only giving up 200 and something total on defense right now. So that's, that's, that's something there, and, and he's a proven commodity. He can throw the ball. It's, you know, Chris Ignati called this a high-octane offense. It's through the ball, a lot of screens. They can get the ball downfield, though. But they also want to establish the run, but, you know, 60% of their plays are passing this year, so they're going to throw the ball. And, and it's really going to test, you know, the JMU secondary. We, we talked about, you know, each game it sounds like, oh, the secondary is going to get tested, and they don't. But I think this is a game where, you know, young corners are – gonna get tested and they play one-on-one a lot because of the amount of pressure jamie brings and it's gonna be tight coverage and you're gonna have to hope that you know these corners are up for the challenge but you know one thing that you look at georgia southern is they've only given up two sacks the entire year a veteran very veteran offensive line and i think that's gonna be the place where jamie if they're gonna win this game they need to get in the backfield and, and get kyle ventries at least start hitting him it might not be a sack but if you're hitting him while he's throwing hitting him right after the throw kind of jar him jar him a little bit i think that's where they, they'll win the game yeah they haven't given up the sacks on the other hand, though, Beatrice has thrown more interceptions than you'd like to see if you're a Georgia, if you're a Georgia Southern fan. Um, so is that is it a result of that's what's happening after the pressure comes? Instead of getting sacked, he's thrown an interception, or is it that you know he's maybe not making the best decisions, and the offensive line is doing a good job protecting him? I mean, he threw four interceptions last week, um, and I watched Clay Helton talk about it this week, and he was basically saying, you know, it's not all in Kyle Vantries. I mean, there was one where he just got lit up and threw it, and it went right, you know, straight up in the air and someone caught it. There was an interception that went off the receiver's hands, if not really his fault. So they basically said, you know, those four interceptions were a team interception rather than just Kyle Vantries um, making a poor decision. So I don't think, you know, it's really that poor decision-making. I think it's, you know, if you get pressure on him, it's going to force interception, but also some of his receivers, you know, just had drops that went right into the hands of the corner, and I think you know that's something that Jamie is going to have to take advantage of. Um, but also, their hard hitting safeties are going to you know have to play well, and we've seen them play well. And, and you know, Chief Surratt, we talked to him yesterday, and you know, we, we asked who's the hardest hitting safety, and I guess all three of them are. Oh yeah, yeah, he <laughs> he had a good answer for that. If you haven't heard uh, Jamie's press conference from yesterday, um, yeah, he he was actually a, a delight to listen to. <laughs> he across the board uh very entertaining guy um the secondary you know the safeties hit hard they haven't gotten a pick yet this year in the secondary is this the week we finally see that the safeties haven't gotten a pick. okay but uh jordan swan has a pick. oh that's right that's right yeah, that he was, didn't go anywhere but he got a pick that was early on yeah but the linebackers are leading the pick category right now with three, including Jalen Walker's two and a pick six. So the ball hawks are the linebackers. But yeah, I think I think you know the, if the secondary is going to win this game, they're going to they're going to they're going to get a pick or two. Yeah, who will we see get that done? I'm going to take the young freshman from Salem, Virginia, Chauncey Logan, who got his first career tackle at Arkansas State. Before that, he had six pass breakups without a tackle. Yeah, it's kind of insane. It, it is. Um, although. You know, just kind of the nature of it. The cornerbacks maybe aren't getting in on those as much. But, yeah, he's been more of a coverage guy and doing a good job there. It seems like recently maybe teams, you know, Logan's proved himself a little bit. It seems like in recent games maybe teams are going towards Brent Austin a little bit more yeah. when he's in the game. And he's, for the most part, um, rose into that challenge. But is that something we're going to see more of? Like on Saturday. I think Arkansas State threw at him five times and they had three completions. So they're going to target the freshman, obviously. I think they're going to throw – they're not going to go after Jordan Swan as much knowing that, you know, you're you're going to have 
other guys out there that haven't played. And I think you're going to see him target Chauncey Logan and target Brent Austin. And being true freshmen, they've done a good job so far, but this is going to be a week where I think you you show what you're made of. And I think that this is going to be the opportunity for them to really break out and, and be the you know playmakers in the secondary. And similar to when we were going into week one, Kirsten Nettie said one of the main concerns was the pace that they play at. Yeah. You can't get your personnel changed in between plays, things like that. Um, he, he's saying the same thing about Georgia Southern. Jamie obviously handled that extremely well against Middle Tennessee. I'm not sure if it was just a matter of they didn't need to change personnel because they're dominating I mean, so they, much they up front. They three and outs. Yeah. Um, but is that actually going to end up being a concern this time around, going on the road, playing against – Potentially a better – I mean, it's hard to say how Georgia Southern actually compares to Middle Tennessee at this point, but um, is it going to be more of a challenge? Yeah, I think so, but I think at the same time to, to avoid, you know, the high-tempo offenses, you keep them behind the chains, and you don't let them get first downs. And JMU leads the country in fewest first downs allowed right now with 57, the only team under 60, and I think that's going to be the where they, they where they keep that tempo down is you, you force three and outs, you force a punt unit, and – you don't have to sub when, you're, when your players are out there for three plays. So I think that's the way you go. Yeah, and, you know, JMU has – they've had success. They, we've mentioned before they completely shut down the running game. And against the Middle Tennessee State where, at least in my mind, I'm going to keep going back to that as the comparison here going into this one. The running game was just not even an option, even if they'd want it to be. You mentioned Georgia Southern. They've run the ball – for, you know, 60-40 balance is not bad. They've had some success running the ball this year. Do you think they'll be able to run the ball at all against JMU? And if they can't, does that – do we end up seeing a similar result? I think, you know, what we see from teams is they try to run the ball and it doesn't work and they abandon it and then you try to throw the ball, which in this case scenario, Georgia Southern is pretty comfortable throwing the ball. I think if they abandon the run at one point in the game – they could be comfortable doing it. That's the one thing that's different than I think most teams that Jamie's faced this year is they're forcing teams to throw the ball a lot. And these teams like Appalachian State, who likes to throw on the ball, you know, they're not as comfortable. But I think Georgia Southern, who predominantly was a triple option team, really has turned it around and becoming a more throwing team. And I think that that might be the challenge. If you force them into throwing, and if they're comfortable doing it, then you're kind of in trouble. But yeah. I think right now. I think they'll be able to shut down the run pretty pretty handily. They've, they've shown that. They, they haven't really shown a sign of slowing down on that front. And so I don't think that'll be a problem. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the one thing that has been a bit of a problem for Jamie so far this season. It's the place kicking. It's field goals. They don't have a reliable field goal kicker at this point. Camden Wise has struggled. Uh, missed a couple again on Saturday. How concerning is that for JMU right now at this point in time? I mean, they, they threw him out there for a 45-yarder, which is the longest of his career um, attempt. And he hit the ball well. And, I mean, watching the ball go, it looked like he had a shot. It fell, fell short of the, just short of the, um, the crossbar. I mean, if that was like a 43-yarder, it's probably sneaking in. It was right down the middle. Kurt Nettie talked about it yesterday. You know, it was into the wind a little bit, which may have slowed the ball down. But he hit the ball pretty well. The second one, though, he pushed it, and he knew he pushed it immediately. He, if you watch the, the replay back, he, he turns around and just is disappointed. Um, but Kurt Nettie's basically riding with him. He, he said he's confident in him. He, he told Camden Wise, like, you know, you're eventually going to hit a game winner for us. And so I think, you know, I don't think it's a big issue yet. 
He is two for six. One of those was blocked against Middle Tennessee. But I think for now they'll let him ride, and we'll see what, what happens in maybe a week or two. But for now he sounds pretty confident. Yeah, it's interesting. It, you know, there are levels to it. Obviously, he won the job for a reason. He was brought on campus for a reason. I don't think, uh, you know, they even bring in a guy who hadn't shown he could make, you know, 30-yarders consistently. Um, so something's, you know, kind of getting to him at this point, you know, and it can be mental. It can be, you know, just, you know, a bad stretch. Um, but also, they're in a position where I don't know, you know, what their other options I might mean, be. The other options either using a walk-on they just brought on the team Justin Ritter, who's a punter, who's listed as both, but he's yeah. a backup punter currently, or Connor Madden, who is the kickoff specialist, who in warm-ups at Arkansas State was hitting 40, 50-yard field goals with the with the second unit. But then again, I mean, I, I don't know. I think right now yeah. they're, they're going to stick with Camden Wise and see what happens. Obviously, they have a kicker coming in next year who's pretty good from Northern Virginia, but right now I think they'll, they'll hold with Camden Wise. Yeah, yeah. That, that seems to be, you know, the situation where, you know, probably a little bit more of a competition for the starting job next year when uh, Patterson comes in. But, you know, I have seen from fans a few, you know, calls here and there to give Connor Madden a shot. That would be interesting to see. He's been a kickoff specialist basically his entire college career. You know, he, he's a transfer from Bridgewater College. I saw him play for Bridgewater, you know, a ton. Never attempted a field goal there. He was just a kickoff specialist. He's got a, got a huge leg. But – um like I said, he was making them from long distance in warm-ups. For some reason, he's not ever getting that chance to do the actual place kicking. I, he he was, you know, he was injured last year. He was, yeah. you know, missed time during camp. So maybe that comes into a factor as well, you know. But it, And it could also be a consistency thing, you know. You can have a big leg, mm-hmm. but if you're not accurate with it, then yeah. it's not really but, pointless. I mean, just, just saying that they didn't even call on him to do that at Bridgewater Division Three yeah. down the road. Um Makes you that you know makes me wonder if you know that's even really an option at this point. Even though I've seen you know some fans kind of call for that, um, but I do think it's probably probably just something that uh, you know Camden Wise has to work through. Whether it's a you know whether it's a technical issue, something about his approach, whether it's um, you know a mental thing, a combination of both. I would have to imagine the guy has potential to at least be reliable from 35 yards in, which he hasn't been so far. And that that would give you a completely different dynamic on this team if, you know, you had that. There basically was not an option to kick a field goal on Saturday after a while. It definitely would take a little bit of pressure off the offense, especially we're talking about early in the game when they're getting up to a slow start. You know, there, there have been times this year, season where it's been a slow start for the offense where they could have had three to six points on the board earlier in the game than they did. Yeah, but at the same time the offense didn't need field goals after a while. Yeah. They kind of got rolling. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, though, you look at he, he kicked a 45-yarder, almost went in. Ethan Radke didn't have a big leg Yeah, when he was at JMU. He was reliable from, what, 35 in, but I don't know if it's a fair comparison to say you know another kicker can consistently make a 45-yarder in college. It's college football. You know, this isn't the NFL where you got to be able to make a 55-yard field goal, and I think at this point they're comfortable, you know, with going for it on fourth down if they need to when it's a long field goal attempt. Yeah. All right, well, you're heading down to Statesboro yep. through, 
Like make a stop in Columbia. Yeah, I think. Make yeah. A stop in Columbia. Yeah. You're heading down there this weekend. Give me your prediction on what you're going to see from JMU with a second straight road game in the Sun Belt Conference. Yeah, they're on a stretch where they're going to play four out of five games with the road game this bye week mixed in. But, yeah, I think, you know, it's going to be a JMU team that's going to play. It's probably the most difficult game of the year. Sorry to say, like, app, you know, this might be more difficult with app. Two facets because, one, JMU now has the, the pressure on them from the outside noise of, hey, you're the number 25 team in the country. You're, the, you're their 10.5-point favorite going on the road again for the second week in a row being a double-digit favorite. Um, they cover the spread with ease against Arkansas State. But Georgia Southern's got a high-powered offense, and I think that's going to be where it comes down to is JMU's number two total defense really showing up. And I think if that happens, they'll win the game. And I think be, just because Georgia Southern's given up a lot of points and a lot of yards this year. I mean, even their win over Nebraska, they gave Nebraska a bunch of points. And so I think that it's going to come down to JMU's defense shutting down Kyle Van Trees. And if that happens, then, you know, the Duke should should roll to a win and, and come back to Harrisonburg 6-0 and and be technically bowl eligible if they were able to actually play in a bowl game, but – and, and set up a Marshall game, which is going to be a pretty fun crowd. Yeah. Yeah, before we wrap things up, um, spend a few minutes talking about uh, it's that time of year where there's tons of stuff going on in JMU sports. Uh, volleyball, women's soccer, both challenging for Sun Belt titles. Uh, women's field hockey team is nationally ranked. And Noah and I are heading over as soon as we get done recording this, heading over to Basketball Media Day at the Atlantic Union Bag Center, talk to men's and women's basketball players. How much are you looking for? I know you're a basketball guy. Yeah. You know, recently graduated from VCU. They they have a basketball program over there, I think I've heard. So, Slightly yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so how excited are you for this time of year where we're getting, we're getting close to November where you got a lot of big things going on with the football and basketball programs? Yeah, it's a fun time of year, you know, in college athletics. When, when basketball starts to overlap with the fall sports and you've got football going now and, you know, it's one thing I didn't have at VCU was football, so, you know, now it's the time of the year where the two biggest sports on campus are going at the same time and I think that's exciting. Um, basketball, JMU, there's, you know, optimism, especially in the Sunbelt Conference where they can be a favorite in both sides of the, the league, men and women, and I think there's an opportunity here and, and, you know, maybe in March there's two teams dancing and we're busy again. Yeah, I mean, I know it's not your primary beat. You're going to go over there and try to learn a little bit about these teams. But um, what are your, you know, kind of thoughts and expectations about, you know, what you've seen and heard so far about, you know, both the men's and women's teams? Yeah, you know, the Sunbelt Conference isn't the Atlantic 10. Sorry to bring that in. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good conference. It's a good mid-major. It's kind of similar, I guess, to CIA in a way. And I think JMU can be competitive in both, especially the men and the women. And I think, you know, it would be an exciting time. Women getting, you know, Peyton McDaniel back, which would probably be a big help, and the men, you know, getting some transfers, and I think they'll be okay. Yeah, it, it will be kind of an interesting situation because the Sun Belt as a conference is probably one of the few sports, bas- basketball, men's and women's both, is, are two of the few sports where they won't feel a major difference yeah. um, in the conference switch. Uh, the CAA and the Sun Belt have always, like for the past several years, have been very comparable as far as the quality and the depth of the leagues and you know Sunbelt probably get a little bit of a boost with the four schools you know three of the four schools they've added uh this year including JMU but both the JMU men and women coming off relatively disappointing seasons last year maybe outside of Harrisonburg the expectations aren't quite as high but I think if you look at who they've got coming back who they've got coming back from injuries and who they got in the transfer portal that those three statements apply equally to both the men's and yeah. women's teams. Um, 
it should be a bounce back year for both programs that uh, both have recent CAA regular season titles and then were down a little bit last year. Um, certainly capable, I think, of competing for the Sun Belt Championships this year. Yeah, I think this is a year where, Jamie, you can make a big splash in the Sun Belt, especially in basketball, being it's not a step up in competition like some of the other sports will have. Like baseball and softball have a major step up in competition and conference play. And I think they have an opportunity to, you know, make a splash, compete for the title, and, and, and that conference tournament's going to be a fun thing to watch in March. Yeah, and even, you know, talking about some teams that uh, saw a step up in um, conference play, including football, <laughs> uh, they're, they're doing all right. So <laughs> yeah. if the basketball programs can kind of uh, follow that model and, uh, you know, use the amount of energy that's just around campus right now with the Sun Belt move, with, uh, with everything that's going on, football team ranked, the the buzz just around Harrisonburg right now is pretty pretty unmatched since, since I've been around here. Um, be interesting to see if that carries over into basketball. I think there, I think there's a decent chance it does, um, especially given the crowds and everything we had at the Atlantic Union Bank Center last season. I'm looking forward to that time of year where both teams are playing, even though I'm going to be incredibly busy and may not sleep or anything. But uh, always love that time of year. On that note. We'll wrap it up. We'll get ready to head over to the Atlanta Union Bank Center, find out a little bit more about the basketball teams. We'll see some more football on Saturday. In the meantime, this has been the Purple and Bold podcast, the JMU Sports Podcast from the Daily News Record. We're your beat riders. I'm Shane Metlin. Been here with Noah Fleischman. Thank you for listening.